begins his teaching this morning by saying, I say to you who are listening, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. This is a continuation of last week's message. I said something a great deal like the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is continuing to teach the people how God wants to bless each of us and how he wants us to deal with one another in our daily lives. But before I looked at those words this morning, I thought, I want to consider how Jesus began his teaching. I thought about that last week. And I thought, maybe all sermons should begin that way. Jesus said, I say to you who are listening. I suspect that preachers may always assume when they step into the pulpit that they instantly have everyone's attention. That may not always be the case, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think Jesus may have begun with that statement because he wanted to make sure that he had everyone's attention. Because what he was about to say was going to be rather radical that it needed to be said. There's never been a commandment of Jesus which has caused so much discussion and debate. It's the commandment to love our enemies. But what was it that Jesus was saying that was so disturbing? What was so radical? How are we meant to obey this commandment? Before we begin to obey, I think we need to discover what it was that word love that Jesus used meant. I want to go back to the Greek again this morning and attempt to clarify what Jesus was saying to those who gathered to hear him that day. I've mentioned before, and I suspect that most of you remember that the, the Greeks often have several words with different meanings where you and I only have one word in English. And you and I use the word love to mean all sorts of things. I love Carolyn. I love her cat. I love hamburgers. But I certainly wouldn't begin to suggest that all those feelings were the same. I mean, I really love hamburgers. <laughs> if you happen to be a crossword puzzle worker, you'll know the word Aaron or Eros is that passionate love between a man and a woman. What about Philia or Philo is the brotherly love for family and friends, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And then there's that word agape, in which some define that in a different type of love, it's hard to define. But that's a word that Jesus uses here. And we might say that it's an actual feeling of benevolence toward another person. But that, that sounds rather bland and academic. Agape love means that no matter what somebody might do to you, no matter what they may say to you, no matter how they may treat you, that you desire nothing other than the best for that person. Some have called agape love love with no strings attached. It's desiring the best for another person without expecting anything in return. And I suspect that's just what you'll get more often than not. If you and I are to experience and not be loved with another person, we must deliberately go out of our way to be good and kind to that person no matter how they may respond. And the word deliberately is what makes the difference here. Now Jesus could have used either of the he couldn't have used either of the other forms with this commandment. It would be unnatural to expect anyone to love their enemy the same way that they might love a spouse or a family member. And that's not what Jesus is calling his followers to do. It, it not only would be unnatural, it, it'd be impossible and wrong. But we are being challenged to seek the best for that person 
even though they may insult us or mistreat us or even do harm to us. That's an apilava. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. That's what made this statement so radical. You know, we all talk about falling in love, and when we say that, we, we normally apply it as just something that we couldn't help ourselves. It just happened. It was a hard thing. Interesting that we would have this just before Valentine's last week. I was looking, I was telling Carol the other day, Valentine was a, was a priest in Italy back in the third century who was martyred for marrying people. The emperor had sent out a decree that, that there would be no more weddings. He was having a difficult time filling his army with unmarried men. Valentine continued to hold wedding ceremonies. He was thrown in prison. And for some reason, while he was there, he sent a love letter to the jailer's daughter. And he signed it, from your Valentine. And he was martyred on February the 14th. And we remember that. But I digress. <laughs> Again. Adopting love has more to do with our will than with our heart. It has something to do with, with God helping our will to will ourselves to do something. It's, it's meant to be a deliberate act of our heart. Christian ethics is meant to be something that's positive. Jesus gave us what's come to be called the golden rule. And it calls us to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. In the Lord's Prayer... We ask God to forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. And in this commandment, Jesus calls us to treat others the same manner that we would wish to be treated. Now, there's many faiths and religions that profess a similar belief. But in every instance, it's, it's stated in a negative way. There was a noted Jewish rabbi that was asked what law taught. And he said, what is hateful to you, do not do to another person. Paulo said, what you hate to suffer do not do to anyone else. Socrates said, What things make you angry when you suffer at the hands of others, do not do unto other people. And when Confucius was asked what word might he use to serve as a rule of practice in one's life, he answered, Is not reciprocity, reciprocity such a word? Easy for me to say, right? Unfortunately, in today's world, those words do unto others as they do, and you far too often have been twisted around, and we say, do unto others what? Before they do unto us, right? Every one of these responses is stated in a negative form. But think of this, it's a lot easier not to do something than to do something. It's much easier not to offend somebody than to go out of your way to do something good for that person who may have offended you. The very essence of Jesus' message is that our conduct consists not of refraining from bad things, but in actively doing good things. Think about that. I suspect that most of you here this morning would claim to be just as good or better than your neighbor, and I suspect that that may be true. But Jesus says, I'm not comparing your actions to that of your neighbor. You may well look very good in comparison with, with them. But God is who you're going to be and compared to it in that vein, you may not look so good after all. Jesus said there's no great effort in loving someone who loves you. He said even sinners love those who love them. Yes, how difficult is it to be kind to someone who's been kind to you? If you do something nice to that person, expect them to do something nice in return. Where's the grace in that action? 
And Jesus drives home his message by reminding the people that God loves the sinner in the same way that he loves the saint. God treats those who bring him grief in the same way as those who bring him joy. Jesus said, love thy neighbor as thyself. I read a, an interesting interview last week with a man who just celebrated his 100th birthday. And the reporter asked, he said, at your age, what are you most proud of? And with no thought at all, the old man said, I have no enemies in the world at all. And the reporter said, that's, that, that's inspirational. Yep, said the old man, outlived every one of them. <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. He told his followers to love their neighbor. But how do we honestly do that in today's world? I believe society today may well be described as a people who are mad at one another. They're angry at one another. Too often they don't love one another at all. They're mad at their neighbors or their co-workers. The Democrats are mad at the Republicans and vice versa. We're mad at the, at the person who cuts us off on the highway or stole our parking lot at Walmart. Man got shot last night for doing that very thing. We're mad about the, the lousy way our ball team plays or that last three-foot putt that we missed. We're mad about the cost of gas at the pump, or ever increasing the taxes, or maybe even worse, we're angry about the way the government spends those taxes. But put two or three people together, before long they're complaining about something or someone that upsets them. Christians today are also mad at the world. We're mad about the movies, the media, the, the, the militants in our cities. We're mad about condoms in our schools, the crime in our streets, the drugs in our neighborhood. We're mad about our school system and what they're teaching our kids. We're mad about society's attitude toward abortion, same-sex marriage. The list could just go on and on and on. In today's world, Christianity is too often viewed as an angry political movement rather than a spiritual community devoted to offering God's hope and healing to a hurting world. Now the scripture tells us that, that we're not to love the ways of the world or the things of the world. We're commanded to, to separate ourselves from those worldly ways. The bishop reminded us when he was here a few weeks ago, we're called to be the salt, the light of us into a sinful world. Now, I've said before, we're called to speak boldly about our faith and God's love. So what does any of this have to do with us this morning? What does this lesson say to us? Well, I would suggest that you can't love someone that you're angry and mad with if you're praying for them. Maybe I should say you can't stay mad or angry with someone if you're wishing the best for them. You, you just can't. Jesus has given his followers a command and some principles that at first blush would seem to be impossible to carry out consistently. Realtors will tell us about location, remember, location, location, location. But I believe in this morning's sermon, Jesus has said, no, it's about attitude. Attitude, attitude, attitude. Jesus wasn't giving the people a new law to follow. He was describing an attitude that needed to invade their very being. Jesus said, you may not have killed someone, but if you hate them in your heart, you may have just as well killed them in my sight. You may not have committed adultery, but if you've lusted in your heart, it's the same thing in God's eyes. Jesus was describing an attitude of the heart that's meant to express itself in positive ways even when others are being negative. We're to be generous even when others are being selfish. 
Jesus calls us to love our enemies. But who makes up that list of enemies? I expect that will vary with every individual. But I believe that Jesus was talking about those who express bitterness and hatred in their hearts against us. And we're called to love them with that agape love, even if they may remain our enemies for life. Now we need to understand what loving our enemies is not. It doesn't mean that we support what they do. We're not called to agree with them or even become friends with them. In prison, we used to talk about loving the sinner and hating the sin. We can be angry at a person for what they've done or are doing, and yet offer that person a godly love. Jesus hated the way the people in Jerusalem had treated the prophets. They abused and even murdered some of the prophets, but Jesus still shed tears over the city and her people. Jesus is always going to be the best example of how we're meant to follow out his commandments. Jesus never asked us to do anything that he hadn't already done himself. Think with me. Jesus wasn't ignorant of who Judas was or what he was going to do. But Jesus loved him anyway. Jesus never slighted Jesus. We never heard an unkind word said to worry. But I also believe that loving our enemies is so foreign to who we are as human beings that it's only with divine help that we can develop an attitude of love for those who are our enemies. We must first pray to God for his help if we're to be able to pray for those who have offended us. So what is it that we need to pray for? What is it that we're called to do? Jesus said, do good for those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Do good for those. Bless those. Pray for those. Those are, those are not feelings. Those are actions. They're not warm, fuzzy feelings. We are to seize the initiative by being loving people who do and bless and pray. These actions may seem weak in the face of hatred and violence, but Jesus transforms those acts and is demonstrated on the cross how powerful those acts can be. Remember on the cross, Jesus prayed for his enemies and asked God to forgive them. Again, if we look to Jesus as our example and attempt to the best of our ability to do what Jesus did, then that's what we can do. In the latter verses of this morning's lesson, we read these words, Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. We're meant to love, to do good, to act generously, because we are the children of the Most High. Jesus promises you and me our reward will be great, because we're God's children. We are heirs to God's kingdom. We live under his roof and eat at his table. And we get to come into the very presence of God and enjoy his protection. Ours is to be a blessed life. But you and I are called to be merciful and loving, just as God is merciful and loving. May he forgive us as we forgive others. And may he bless us in the same way that we bless others. But then Jesus went on to say, don't judge others, lest you be judged. Don't condemn others, lest you be condemned. Judging has to do with forming an opinion about that other person. Condemning has to do with pronouncing guilt. And both of those areas fall solely under the umbrella of God's purview. How often do we write off a person because we disagree with them? I suspect that you and I can find all kinds of reasons for judging and condemning another person. We may write off a fellow Christian because, Lord help them, they're a fundamentalist. 
Lord knows society is, is quick to judge anyone in terms of being racist or homophobic or anti-Semite or the, the list goes on and on. There's hardly anyone these days that's safe from the poison in people's hearts. And yet we begin our service each week with Jesus' words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we need to hear these words week after week? Because they're so easy to forget as soon as we walk out these doors and go back into a world filled with so much hatred and anger. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that the church has done so poorly in its attempt to evangelize the world, to live out the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, is because we, don't, we do such a poor job of living out God's golden rule. We will never be successful in carrying out the Great Commission until we've truly learned to implement the Great Commandment. I believe that's one of the reasons we're, we're facing problems in the church today. We can't love our enemies until we've learned to love our fellow Christians. Loving God. Loving one another. Loving our enemies. Paul said faith, hope, and love are the greatest of these is love. But there are those in your life who are your, your enemies. That might not be the word that you use to describe that person, but you know who that person is, who those people are. You want to avoid being around them. You find it difficult to say anything good about them. They're just not your kind of people. The things they believe in is not the values that you cling to. But Jesus is telling us to love them, to do good to them, to bless them, and to pray for them. I suggested earlier that you can't dislike the person that you're honestly praying for. So I'd suggest that that's a starting place. Think of those people in your life that you might consider your enemy and begin to pray for them daily. Just simply ask God to bless them and to show them his mercy and mean it. And then attempt to understand that God loves you in the same way that he loves that person that you most despise. Again, let Jesus be your example. Jesus said that God is love and he and the Father are one. And if Jesus could love you and me and if the Father is willing to have mercy on each of us, then how can we question it when we're told to love our enemies? Can you pray that prayer this morning? God love me. In the same way that I love my enemies? Are you listening? Did you hear what Jesus said?